I'm going to ask you, if you're staying here in the sanctuary with us, would you take your Bible, if you have one, or if you have access to a copy of the Scriptures, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, we're continuing our series in this book, a message written to those who are ready to give up, those who are ready to find another option for how to live their lives other than following and trusting Jesus. And so it's a message to, us, to those of us who are Christians, who might be discouraged, ready to give up. It's a message to those who aren't Christians, why it, is, why it is worth embracing and living a life of following Jesus. And so we come again to that message this morning in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to consider the chapter as a whole, but I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to read three selections from this chapter to kind of give us an idea of what's going on here. And we'll talk about it together. So Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then jump down with me to verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had not been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. And now to verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
And Father, we do thank you for your word. We come trusting that what we have read is your voice speaking to us right now in this room this morning. Increase our trust in that, increase our attentiveness, our anticipation, our expectation that you are speaking to us by your spirit through your word even now. And trusting in that, we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears, our minds and our hearts to understand, to humble ourselves, and to be changed by what you're saying. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been given the advice, never meet your heroes? Never meet your heroes. Where does that cynical suggestion come from? It comes from the assumption that although some people seem worthy of admiration, if you get close enough, you're going to find plenty of things that are not worthy of admiration. Though someone might seem worthy of imitation, if you get close enough, you're going to find some things, maybe a lot of things, that are not worth imitating. And there is a truth in that advice. And some of you have experienced that truth personally. You've met your heroes and you have been disillusioned. But it's not the whole truth. And that advice creates problems for us in our text this morning. Because Hebrews chapter 11 wants us to meet heroes. And a lot of them. More than we have time to mention this morning. Hebrews chapter 11 says, Here is a large list of people who are worthy of admiration, who are worthy of imitation. Now, it is important to say that this is not a naive list. Hebrews understands that if you get close to this list, If you get close to these people listed in this chapter, you will find out that they are not models of perfect moral virtue. Jephthah practiced human sacrifice. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Sarah gave her slave to her husband so that they could have a baby together. Not models of moral virtue. But still, Hebrews 11 says, come meet your heroes. These people are admirable and imitatable. And you should live your life in imitation of them. So, we need to ask some questions about this list of heroes, don't we? Let's ask two questions this morning. Why should these people be our heroes? And how can we imitate them? First of all, why should these people be our heroes? And the answer to that question is in the word that is repeated a gazillion times in this chapter. And it's the word faith. What unifies this diverse list And the reason that these people are heroes are that they lived by faith. And this is where Hebrews has been going all along. 
As this book has presented to us Jesus, our high priest, our sacrifice, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, the response that Hebrews wants from us is a life of faith. But what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, if you pay attention to this list, you'll, you'll notice that it is not only a list united by faith, but it's a list united by faith expressed in a particular relationship towards what these people couldn't see. Faith is a response to what they couldn't see, and especially the unseeability of God. And this isn't just an intellectual thinking that the unseen God exists. It is a life built around that truth. And it is not only built around the truth of God's existence, it is built around the truth of God's activity, his work in the world throughout history. These people show us a life built on a dream. And it is the dream of this city that is mentioned in verse 10 and throughout this chapter. A city whose designer and builder is God. A city like the one we see at the end of the Bible in the final chapters of Revelation. A city in which there is no more tears, no more death. No more curse. A city where all things are made new. All wrongs are made right. All aspects of life work according to God's design. And that unfulfilled dream sustained these people through incredible risk and suffering, rejection, ridicule, torture, and death. But where does that come from? Where does that kind of heroic faith come from? Were these just uniquely gifted, courageous individuals? No. There's another word that repeats in this chapter, and it is the word promise. And accompanying the word promise are a number of ways that this chapter describes God speaking to his people. He warned Noah. He called Abraham. And the point is that this dream of a city didn't emerge from the internal desires and ambitions of these people. No, the dream of this city came from what God had said to them. It came about as the result of his word, his word about what he would do and how they were to be involved in what he would do. And so these people, these heroes of faith, were people who saw with their ears. So as they looked at their world, the circumstances of their life, they did not see the city. They did not see what God had told them would come into existence. But as they still saw the absence of that city, they listened to God saying, I will build that city where there are no more tears, where there's no more curse, where all all things are made new. And then they acted 
in what they saw according to what they heard. According to what God had said to them. Now, they did not do that and they did not feel that perfectly. Sarah laughed in scorn when God told her that she, postmenopause, with her husband, with one foot in the grave, would have a baby. Read the Psalms. Hear David's anguished wanderings, whether God would keep his promises or not. See Gideon asking for one more sign, and then another one, and then another one. And then see him at the end of his life, corrupting the faith with which he had lived earlier. No, these people did not live out this, did this out perfectly, but they did in moments show us what it is like to live seeing with our ears. What it is like to live not just according to what we see, but according to what God has said and the promises that he has made. Now, some people at this point will say, not my heroes. This is my problem with Christianity. This is my problem with religion in general. It is the irrational claim that we should live according to something that we cannot observe, test and measure. And I hear that. That's a difficult problem, but let me say a couple of things to that. First of all, notice this doesn't dismiss observation. It shapes observation. It is how we are to respond to what we can observe and see. And then secondly, let me ask you this. Are you horrified? Are you morally repulsed by the violent images that we see coming from places like Israel and Gaza and Ukraine. And when you are morally repulsed by those images, don't you long for the world to be different? Don't you want something to change? Where does that come from? Does that come from observation? Because the overwhelming evidence of the natural world and human history is that what is going on in those places, that state of violence is the state of things. It is the way it is, nature, red, and tooth and claw. Most people throughout history and in many places around the world, even today, are a moment away from that kind of violence. That is typical. That is normal. That is what you can observe in the natural world and human history. So why are we morally repulsed? Why do we want something different? Well, that comes from something unseen. That comes from an unseen standard. And so the life of faith shown to us by the people in Hebrews chapter 11 is a rational life. It is a rational way to live in the world. Adam Roberts is a professor of English literature at the College of London, and one of his specialties is what has come to be known as fantasy literature. 
And unsurprisingly, he traces the beginnings of modern fantasy literature back to the fiction of J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. That's where it came from. Most of the people say that's where, it's came, where, where it came from. But what Roberts has to say that is interesting is he notes how different what Tolkien wrote was from what was being written at the same time in most of literature, in most of fiction. It was the time of high modernism under the influence of an earlier generation of writers like James Joyce. And so it was a fiction of fragments, fragments of observation and experiences strung together with no overarching narrative, no overall direction. And Tolkien wrote something very, very different, and Roberts explains why. He says this is, a much, this is part of a much larger project for Tolkien. He saw the world as broken, but in contrast to these other writers, his interest was in trying to make it whole again. He believed healing is possible, and he wrote his fantasy to explore that conviction. Life of faith is not a fantasy. It is a life written to explore that conviction. That healing is not only possible, but inevitable. See, these people in Hebrews chapter 11, they show us in moments what it is like to live listening to the story of God, the story that says that this broken world and our broken lives will be made whole again. And then it is to act as if the fragments of our lives belong to that whole. To live as if healing is not only possible, but because of the promises of God, inevitable. And that's why we should want to be like these people. That's why we should admire them and seek to imitate them. But how do we do that? How's that possible? I mean, these people lived in extraordinarily different circumstances and cultures. Their vocations range from slave and prostitute to kings and high-ranking government officials and the most powerful empires in the world. How can we live in imitation of them? Well, to do that, we need to notice two things. We need to notice a similarity and a difference. First of all, a similarity. What do we share in common with this list? Waiting. We are still waiting for that city. I mean, does, does your life, do your circumstances look like no pain, no tears, no death? Of course not. And so we are still waiting for the full promise that they lived their lives waiting for. Painful. Waiting is hard. And it involves suffering. You know, I think we'd all want to live the life of faith if, if it looked only like verses 33. 
3 to verses 35a. Right? These people, they conquer kingdoms. They accomplish justice. Best of all, the beginning of verse 35, women received back their dead to life. Sign me up for that. But verse 35 keeps going. And it says some were tortured. And they refused relief. Why? Because they were looking to rise to a better life. All of the people on this list, even those who were brought back to life, eventually died, still waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. And so will we. If we seek to imitate this list, we will live and die waiting. And we will have to, like them, learn to see with our ears. Waiting for that better resurrection, which is still to come. But that's painful. That's difficult. How do we do it? Well, notice not only a similarity, but a difference. We imitate these people by, in a way, not imitating them. Let me show you what I mean. If you have your Bible still open, look at the final two verses of this chapter. And these verses are so important for how we relate to this list. Verse 39, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You see what he's saying? He is saying their heroic faith is incomplete without our faith. Why? Because the promise they were waiting for, God has begun to keep in us. Why? Because he has given us something better. And what is that? What is that something better? We have to keep reading. You have to realize he's setting up chapter 12. We have to cheat into next week. Chapter 12, verse 2, the something better is Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. And now hear the pattern of Hebrews chapter 11. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You see what all of these people show us in part, in moments. Jesus gathers up and he becomes the perfection, the completion of it. And so when we, imitating them, learn to see with our ears, we not only see the verbal promise of God, but we see him who is the full fulfillment of those promises. When we see with our ears, we don't just see a city that is to come, a city that is In the future, we see a city that has begun, a city that is being built in the lives of those who belong to Jesus and in his church. When we see with our ears, 
we don't just see a future resurrection. We see him who is the resurrection and the life who has been raised before us and gives us even now the beginnings of new life by his spirit. We don't only live waiting for the future. We live in a future that has already begun. And so we have better reasons and better resources to live by faith. Even when it's painful. Even when it's costly. Even when it involves losses. I've used this before, but this is a really helpful picture for me. I used to mock people who wore shorts and a sweatshirt at the same time. And especially growing up in the South, I thought that was ridiculous. If it's cold enough to wear a sweatshirt, why are you wearing shorts? If it's warm enough to wear shorts, why are you wearing a sweatshirt? But as I have matured and moved to Ohio, I have found that there just simply are days that are shorts and sweatshirts days. Because they are days where there are multiple weathers at the same time. There are days when it is both winter and spring on the same day. And that's what it's like to live by faith for now. It is to live wearing a sweatshirt and shorts. It is to live in two weathers at the same time. There is a sense in which we are still in winter. Longing for what R.S. Thomas calls a vanished April. And so we live with painful anticipation of what is to come. But there is also, and this is what makes it possible to live in winter, there is also in a real sense a way that we live in spring. We live because of Jesus in the beginnings of that vanished April. Those buds of green, those signs of life have begun because of what not only he will do, but what he has done. And so, will you see with your ears? Will you let these Hebrew, these heroes of Hebrews chapter 11. Yes, show you in part a way to live, but far more point your eyes beyond themselves to him, who's the fullness of the promise that they were waiting for, who is the fulfillment of the dream that is worth living your life for. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? As I read this list, I am incredibly intimidated. And I think there's no way. There's no way that I can live like this. There's no way that I can be like these people. And so, Father, I ask that you would awaken in my heart and in the hearts of those who are sitting here this morning faith. 
Would you help us as we look to the circumstances of our lives, as we look around at our world and do not see the reality of that promised city, would you help us to hear the story that ends with you making all brokenness whole? But even more, would you help us not only to hear the story, but to hear of Jesus and to see him, the fullness of your promise, the fullness of that dream. Would you help us to put our trust in him and then to act in accord with that trust? We pray it all in his name. Amen.